0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how the church is God's. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know that this sermon that you're about to hear was preached three years ago. The reason we're sharing it again now is that it was foundational to all that we have become as a church And as we prepare to gather together again, we think it's really important that people remember exactly why we exist as a church and what we're trying to accomplish. You know, a lot's changed in the world in the last couple of months, but there are unchangeable truths about what the church is and about what the church is supposed to do written down for us in scripture. This sermon contains some of those truths, and so we thought it was really important for us to share it again. I hope it will be as foundational to our regathering as it has been to our church over the last few years. One more quick note before I let you get to the sermon and that is that this sermon was filmed on location at a church that I have been a part of. Obviously you won't be able to see that because you're listening. So if you wanna watch, make sure you head over to our YouTube channel, which is called Creekside Tube. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Why does church exist? What is its purpose? Is it to offer a bunch of rules, an excuse to have coffee with friends? Ephesians describes church as the body of Jesus. Christians are a part of it. The goal is that all the parts will be built up and work together in order to positively impact people's lives for the glory of God. This happens by expressing the love of Jesus to our communities and the world, by telling the story of how he died and rose again. All this happens for him, because the church is his. This sermon, we could not film on location because the location that I wanted to represent was, is in Idaho. I've mentioned before that I spent two months after my junior year of college in southeast Idaho doing mission work and I've talked about that primarily because while I was there uh, there was a tragic death of a young man who had just graduated from high school and I've told you those stories and sermons in the past but uh, today I want to talk about my other experiences there. I've never really told you what I did while I was in Southeast Idaho, and uh, this morning I want to. Uh, in Idaho, I lived with a couple, an older couple, named Ken and Grace Young. They were missionaries through an organization called American Missionary Fellowship. And Ken and Grace lived in Pocatello, Idaho, which is actually the second biggest city in Idaho but they didn't do ministry in Pocatello. They actually did ministry in two different cities, both which were around an hour away from Pocatello in different directions. One of those cities was Soda Springs, Idaho, which you actually may have heard of before. It's very small, little teeny city in Southeast Idaho, but uh, it's kind of famous because in the game Oregon Trail, specifically in the MS-DOS game, uh, the MS-DOS version of Oregon Trail. Soda Springs was the city where you would decide if you wanted to continue by land to continue your path on the Oregon Trail, or if you wanted to try to go down the river on a raft. When I was a kid in our library class, I always chose to continue by land. It seemed like the safer way to go and so soda springs is this weird cool little old city that is most famous for being a part of uh, the oregon trail and if you're in my generation most famous for being a part of the oregon trail video game but the other place that ken and grace did ministry and that i helped with was in this place that's just referred to as the arbon valley I remember the first night that we drove into the Arban Valley. I had been in Southeast Idaho for just a couple of days. And we were going, just Ken and I, to lead a Bible study at one of the churches that he pastored in the Arbon Valley. And we came off of this mountain... And I looked out, and it is to this day one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen, into this gorgeous valley as the sun was setting. The Arban Valley is not really dissimilar to the Willamette Valley, except the first thing you notice is that there are no people. The second thing that you would notice is that there are no trees. Uh, we did our best to be in a location that illustrates the Arbon Valley, but uh, there are trees behind me. It's hard to find a place here in the Willamette Valley where there are not trees. But the Arban Valley is this empty, beautiful, open valley that is a little bit more of a high desert than here in the Willamette Valley. We came into this valley. It was gorgeous. And we started to drive down this road. You could see just as, as far as your eyes would allow you to see. We drove for a couple of miles. And then in the middle of this valley, there was a church. Now, it was strange to me because I grew up going to pretty large churches. The church that you, I saw in the first ser- sermon in the series, Dayspring Fellowship, about a thousand person church when I stopped attending there. First Free Methodist, uh, the church that you saw in the second sermon in this series, uh, three, four hundred, five hundred people, somewhere in that range when I attended that church. And so to show up in this little church in the Arban Valley was crazy. That church there, on Sunday mornings when we would gather to sing to Jesus and to give a sermon, all of those things, had about on a good weekend, seven people. Seven great people that I learned to love in just two months. Seven great people who accepted me as as really one of their own, almost as a son, who gave me a hard time for being from Oregon and who loved to to joke about how I could never pray for rain, and how uh, I was really 10 years ahead of them because they took pride in being 10 years behind as far as technology and things like that. But it was only seven people. And at the time that I did ministry there, I thought that we were doing that church because even those seven people needed the gifts, the blessings, all of the good things that a church offers. They needed an outlet to express themselves and worship through music, and they needed a place to come and hear a sermon, and they needed a place for community, and they needed other people who would pray for them on a consistent basis. And, and, and when I was there doing ministry with Ken and Grace, I did not diminish the importance or the value of the work that Ken and Grace were doing and that I was doing for two months in this valley that seemed to have no people. But I did think that it primarily, and perhaps only, was an important ministry because there were seven people who needed a church. What I wanna look at in Ephesians today about the church suggests that what we did out there in the Arban Valley, where there seemed to be no people, went beyond just doing ministry to a handful of people on a Sunday morning. In fact, what we did out there didn't just have influence for a handful of people, it had influence in a realm, a cosmic realm that we can't see That might not make any sense to you right now but I think it will in just a few moments in Ephesians 3 1 through 9 Paul tells us some beautiful things about what we have and who we are in Christ he says that we are heirs and members and sharers in the wonderful promises and blessings of God that's what he says about Christians that we have Partaken in the beautiful promises of God. And then in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, this is what he says. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think it's really easy for us in the modern church to relegate the importance of a church to the activities that a church does a lot of times we think of a church as a great show on sunday mornings and a place where there are some social services and a place where you can find good activities that hopefully produce some level of community and enhance the community in which a a church is in. But in Ephesians 3.10, if you were just paying attention as I read it, Paul says that the church has a far crazier, more spiritual importance than just being a place that does some good activities that benefit the people who are in it. Paul says that the church has a far more cosmic, spiritual place in the world and in the heavenly realms than perhaps we give it credit for. Let me read it again to you he says about god that his intent was that now through the church notice this the manifold wisdom of god should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms he says that the wisdom of god should be made known through the church in the heavenly realms now this phrase rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms is one that causes much confusion debate and we're going to talk about a few of the options in just a second but before we do I just want you to just kind of take a deep breath and think about just on a on a surface level how much greater and more important that makes the church how much greater and more important it makes every church that meets even in a place like the one I'm trying to represent today where it seems like there's no people at all the church takes on even a greater role when we think about its job as God's proclaimer the proclaimer of his incredible and infinite wisdom in the heavenly realms This refers primarily to the gospel, but not just the words of the gospel or the story of the gospel, but the incredibleness of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the impact of the gospel on us as people and the world as a whole. Paul is saying that the church's job is to declare the greatness and the truth and the impact of God's incredible gospel, the story of Jesus, the story that Jesus came out of heaven into earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross, and then he rose again, and now he sits enthroned in heaven where he fills all things for the good of the church. The church doesn't just exist to provide a few ministries, the church exists to proclaim the greatness, the truth, the benefits, the gloriness, the gloriousness of the gospel story. And to whom are they proclaiming this? Paul's words to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and what does this mean exactly? Theologians have provided a bunch of different options, but there are four primary options that I want to give to you today. The first is that the church proclaims God's wisdom to angels. 1 Peter 1.12 may give some validity to this, but the idea would be that the church proclaims God's wisdom, specifically in the gospel story, in order that the angels, the messengers, the workers of God, might celebrate, might rejoice what he in what he has done. The second option is this: the church proclaims God's wisdom to evil powers in order to bring about their conversion and to announce their defeat or to cause them to marvel. Number three, the church proclaims God's God's wisdom to human institutes and structures to transform their actions. This would include Governments, rulers, people in authority on earth. And the fourth option is that this is to be understood as some combination of the above three. Now, no matter which one of these you choose, it is abundantly clear that this moves the church past being some type of social organization that just provides a few good things to those who are a part of it and to those who are in their communities, right? It turns the church into a good organization that does a few good things into an organization that does something that goes beyond even what we can see. The Proclamation of God's Wisdom in the Heavenly Realms. Now that I've said that, I want to tell you that I think the best answer is number two. The church proclaims God's wisdom to evil powers. Now the reason that I think this is the best option is simple. When you read the book of Ephesians, It seems that when Paul talks about these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, he seems to be talking, he does talk most often about these evil things that exist outside of what we can see on a normal basis. Whenever you study scripture, it's important to try to understand the author's original intent. And one of the ways that we can do that is by looking at the language they use in a specific verse in light of the way that they use that language in other verses. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, talks about these authorities in the heavenly realms in terms of the evil that exists around us. Mark Roberts of Fuller Theological Seminary describes it And he says this, we encountered these powers in chapter one, where it says that God seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Chapter two referred to Satan as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul uses this kind of language to refer to what we might identify as demonic powers, yet he is not thinking simply of individual demons who harass or possess people. Rather, he envisions the whole cosmos as permeated and influenced by powers that we might call supernatural. Yet these powers might also include cultural, economic, and political forces, the kinds of forces that shape our lives each day. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, One of the most famous passages in the book of Ephesians, we read this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, notice this, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." When Paul speaks of rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, he isn't talking about angels. He isn't talking specifically or primarily about the kingdoms of the world, the governments that exist. He is talking about the evil forces that desire to tear at the kingdom of God, but not only at the kingdom of God, but the desire to tear at you and me here, in Ephesians 3, Paul says that the church exists, and in order that we might proclaim the wisdom of God to the evil forces that exist in places that we cannot see on a regular basis. This is a crazy thought. The church is God's proclaimer. It is his proclaimer. This is a crazy thought, but I think an important one because it shows us the vast importance, the vast weight that God has placed on this entity that we refer to as the church. Why should you go to church? It's a common question. I mean, people ask this, people say, well, can't I be spiritual on a mountain or underneath the stars or looking at a great sunset? Can't I be spiritual on my own, praying in my house all by myself? Yeah, you can be spiritual in those ways. But the problem is, The church doesn't just exist for you to be spiritual. The church exists in part so that God's infinite glorious wisdom can be proclaimed to the forces that have forever opposed Him. When you go back in the Bible, you see that from the very beginning of creation, Satan has opposed the work of God. In the Garden of Eden, right after God had created Adam and Eve and and placed them in a perfect state, the serpent, Satan himself, shows up and says, Hey, God is not for you. He's against you. He doesn't want you to be like him. Eat of this tree that he has told you not to eat of, and then you will have the wisdom of God. He opposed the very work, the very creation of God. When Jesus arrived on the scene, before Jesus began his ministry, he went out into a desert and there Satan met him and tried to get him to sin. From the beginning of creation until the moment Jesus comes back and takes us to be with him in glory. Satan will fight against the work of God and the demons that do the work of Satan will fight right along with him. And the church doesn't exist just so you can be spiritual. The church in part exists so that we together can proclaim, Satan, you have lost because the work of Jesus has conquered you. Satan, you will not win. because Jesus came, He died, and He rose again, conquering the sin and death that you Satan love so much. Now this doesn't just give reason for us to go to church. This places is incredible weight upon how we go to church already talked about how we should not go to church for us because the church is not ours it is his I've already said in this series that when we go to church we should remember that the church is God's family and when we go to church we should go to it in a way that that is like a family but not only a family a family that ushers in the presence of God as his building and we should approach church in a way that allows for the presence of God to enter in But now we add to this and we see that when we approach church, we should approach church in a way that says to Satan and his demons, who exist in the heavenly realms, the gospel is true. The gospel changes everything. The gospel shows that you, Satan, will not win. What is so interesting about this is that Paul doesn't say here that you and I as Christians are God's proclaimers. And this means that what Paul has in mind is not simply that we share the gospel with others, although that is a really important thing to do. What Paul is saying is not only that we are to tell people the story of how Jesus has come to save us from our sins and from death by dying and rising again. It's something greater than that. It's something that goes beyond that. What Paul is saying is that the way that we do church, the way that we approach church and its very nature, should show, should declare, should proclaim to Satan and his minions the greatness and the glory of the gospel. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 9, as I mentioned earlier, Paul tells us how incredible the gifts are that we have in Christ when I preached on the book of Ephesians and talked about our identity in Christ, we looked at that passage about how we are heirs with Christ and how we are partakers with Christ. The gifts of the gospel are vast. They are many. If you are a Christian, then you know the joy, the peace, the love, the hope, the forgiveness... The mercy, the kindness, the wonderful gifts of God that have been bestowed upon us because of what Christ has done. You know that. You know them. And you ought to approach church in a way. You ought to approach life in a way that declares Those things to be true and great. Now, when I look at how most people do church today, how you and I sometimes approach church, it's this thing that we do on Sunday mornings. Sometimes we go through the motions. Perhaps you've already gone through the motions today. We go through the motions. We do the things that we're supposed to do. We put in the minimal amount and hope to get the maximum amount out of it. But when we read that it is the church's job to be His proclamation, the proclamation of His infinite wisdom, the gospel story, and all of its greatness. We should not go through the motions. But instead, we should put our full weight, our full effort into every part of this. I mean, this reality of us being his proclamation of the church being his proclamation to the dark forces that exist in the heavenly realms should infiltrate every aspect of what we do in church when we gather here on a sunday morning and we sing songs we should put our our full weight behind those songs our full Force behind those songs because when we sing that God is great, or when we sing about the love of God, or when we sing about how the resurrection means that God should be worshiped forever, when we declare our loyalty to God through song, we are proclaiming to the heavenly forces the greatness of what god did in the gospel and when we look at his word and we listen to sermons we should we should be saying and to the heavenly forces to the evil that exists we should be saying this is real and i believe it with my whole heart and so i will suck it up and i would take it in and i would try to change my life based on what it says and when we pray we should pray in a way that suggests yes i now have access to god and i don't just pray because i'm supposed to i pray because i know that when i do jesus is interceding on my behalf God is listening to me, and He will respond accordingly. And when we interact with each other, I mean, when we're over by the coffee talking to each other, our conversations should not only be about sports or the weather or about politics or what's going on in the world. Our conversations should be about the the greatness of the gospel. Because we are declaring, we are proclaiming in the heavenly realms that we believe this thing to be true, that Jesus has done for all the world. But it shouldn't just be about Sunday morning. When we serve the DHS office, we should do it in a way that says, we believe that God looked down on us who are orphans, and died on a cross for us so that we could be adopted as his children. And we want to express that love back to the people who are taking care of the orphans in our world. And we want to express that love when we give welcome boxes to kids who are being taken to the DHS office. We want to say, hey, look, we have a heavenly father who is perfect and good. We want to express that love to you. In order that Satan knows the greatness of the gospel story. And when we when we serve at Villebois events, we should not just go through the motions. We should be the greatest servants to this community. Because we're saying, Wow, Jesus died for us, and we want you to know the love that we have experienced. But not only do we want you to know the love, we want Satan to know that this love doesn't just fill us up, but it fills us up in such a profound and powerful way that it overflows into a community. Even though the community may not believe it to be true. You see, when we come to realize that the church is his proclaimer, the proclaimer of His manifold, infinite wisdom that is most clearly seen in the gospel story. When we come to understand that, it turns our church experience from one of very little importance, very little weight, to one of the most importance and the greatest weight. You see, when I was in Southeast Idaho many years ago, I thought that we did church in, an Ar- in the Arban Valley where there seemed to be no people because there were a few people who needed to hear a sermon, who needed to have some prayer, who needed to have some community. But what I realize now is that what we were doing out there Went far beyond a few prayers. It went far beyond a little music. It went far beyond a little sermon. It went all the way into the heavenly realms. Because whether there's a million people at a church or seven, what they do goes beyond them. Because what they do ought to proclaim in the heavenly realms, the greatness of God's wisdom, the greatness of the gospel. What I've come to realize is that what we did in the Arban Valley declared to Satan and his forces. God's love God's power, God's greatness is beyond any trick that you might have. What we did in the Arban Valley is proclaim the infinite, beautiful, incredible wisdom of God that he showed by sending his son to earth to die for our sins and rise again so that we might have life. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray that Creekside Bible Church would not be a church that just meets a few needs. I pray that we would not be a church that just creates a little community. I pray that we would not be a church that just allows for people to hear a good sermon. I pray that we would be a church, God, that throws our full weight behind everything that we do because we understand that the weight of this thing that is church goes beyond a few activities, Lord. It expands all the way into the cosmos. It goes all the way into the heavenly realms. And I pray, God, that we would be a church who does things in a way that allows for our voice to go far beyond the Willamette Valley and into the heavenly realms, God. And Satan and the demons would hear every time that we do anything as a church, that you are great and you, God, have done the greatest thing in the gospel story. Let us be a proclaimer of your wisdom, Lord. Let that proclamation go all the way into the heavenly realms. I ask these things in your holy name, amen.